Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Maybe seated. I love that song, uh, Here I Am to Worship, because the truth is that's, that's the heartbeat, isn't it? Worship doesn't just take place on a Sunday morning. It shouldn't. It should take place every moment of every day where we have the opportunity to, to yield afresh to the Lord, to say, yes, Lord, in everything. Say, Lord, this is your life. It's not my life. It's your time. It's not my time. Whatever you choose, however you choose it, whyever you choose, it doesn't matter. We just say, yes, Lord. And that becomes worship. That becomes a, a pattern of life because the Lord truly is worthy of worship. I love this time of year. I love Christmas. I love the spirit of it. And uh, I, I think it's such a tremendous opportunity to be able to share with people what the true meaning of the season really is all about. I, I don't know if you've thought a lot, I'm sure you have, about Jesus Christ coming to this earth. When you begin to really contemplate that, it's really remarkable, isn't it? That the Lord left glory. He left heaven to come to this earth, to be born in a manger, ultimately to go to the cross so that we could have life, so that we could be sitting here today to worship him in spirit and in truth. What an amazing thing that really is. I want to talk a little bit today about uh, the community of the church and specifically as we're walking through these uh, few weeks before the new year, a community of grace. Last week we looked at Uh, what it means to be a community. How do we define community? And we talked about the fact that we are called out of the world. We're the church. That means the called out ones. We gather together. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to to serve the Lord, to grow in Christ, to know the Lord. He walks with us. He's in us. He's a part of everything that we uh, go through. Everything ultimately that we go through is filtered through his hands. He's always discipling us. He has our best in mind, and in the midst of that, we're a community. We, we have the opportunity of experiencing the Lord, and as a result, called into fellowship with one another. And that fellowship is <laughs> not just around potlucks, right? It's not just around food, in spite of the fact that we, we really do enjoy that, and that's okay. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We love the food. But it really is around Christ, isn't it? And it's around the whole idea that God has called us into something unique. And it's not because we've earned it. It's not because we deserve it. And it's certainly not because we can pay the Lord back for it. It's because of what Christ has done for us. And that's called grace. Grace. Trying to talk about grace in a 40-minute moment is impossible. It's like, it's like trying to encapsulate everything that there is to know about physics within a certain set period of time. It's impossible. Or to take the universe and explore all of it in a moment. It's impossible. When we talk about grace, the well of grace is so rich, so deep, so beautiful. I I honestly believe that for eternity, we're going to be finding out more and more and more. And we're going to be celebrating Christ deeper and deeper and deeper because of his grace. Grace within the Christian community is essential. It is what ultimately separates us from every other religion 
in the world. C.S. Lewis, I've shared this with you before, agreed with that. He said very clearly at a particular conference they were having at Oxford University, a bunch of the people from all over the world that were heads of religions and all the different things were coming together to talk about the uniqueness of Christianity, and they were talking through what makes Christianity unique in comparison or contrast to every other religion in the world. And when C.S. Lewis came in, he knew some of the individuals, shook their hands, was greeting them evidently, and he asked them, what was your topic of this conference? And they told him, He simply said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And walked out of the room. I love that because that's the truth. It's God's unmerited favor. It is what God has done for us. It's not what God expects us to do. It's what God has done for us because he knows what we cannot do. And I think it's important to understand that we are a community of grace. The word grace in the New Testament is used about 154 times. I think about 120 of those times it's translated grace. It also can be translated as thanks or favor, blessing. All of it connotates that which is undeserved. It's unearned. It's not been merited. We didn't do something in order to get it. It was done in spite of us. Grace is an undeserved gift, and catch this because I think this is beautiful, it's given with joy. It's done with joy. If you want to think of it, and I know some of y'all, you don't have to learn Greek, it's okay, but I like watching HDTV instead of black and white, so I go into this a little bit, but let me just give you a simple little illustration about how beautiful grace and joy are interrelated. The root word for both grace and joy is the same. So what we're talking about is grace and joy are linked together in a way that they cannot be separated. And when we talk about grace, if there's true grace, what's going to be with it? Joy. If there's joy, why is joy there? It's because of grace. One of the hallmarks of the Christian community as a community of grace is joy. Joy to the world, right? We have joy. Why? Because Christ has come to live within us. We have peace with God, not because we've earned it, but because the Lord has accomplished it on our behalf and we have received it. We've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore we have been brought into a right fellowship with the Father. Joy and grace are inextricably linked. Grace is the foundation of God's attitude and activity toward the unsaved and the saved alike. Think about that. Grace is God's attitude towards us. Even as believers, it's because of grace. And we thank God that he chose to do something, and he didn't do it begrudgingly. He did it with joy because he loves us. The cross, the resurrection, our salvation... Our walk with the Lord, our future with him, our eternal rewards are all because of God's grace. Grace is, in effect, the house through which every other attribute of God, every other activity of God, every other attitude of God towards us is housed. It is impossible 
to talk about salvation in Christ, to talk about any of the arenas of the Christian walk, whether it's coming to Christ or then walking as a result in him. It's impossible to talk about any of those arenas apart from the unmerited, unearned, undeserved, unable to pay God back for grace. It's impossible. Grace is what God has done for us freely, abundantly, and with joy, and what he continues to do for us in the midst of it. If we could earn it, then it wouldn't be God's grace. If we could pay God back for it, then it wouldn't be God's grace. If we could accomplish it on our own, guess what? It's not God's grace. God's grace isn't just his attitude towards us. God's grace is his transforming power within us to renew our minds, to conform us to his image, to absolutely radically change our lives. I think one of the things that's misunderstood is we tend to think of grace as a concept, a concept. And we talk about it philosophically. We talk about how it's going to, to be a part of our lives, how, how can we walk in grace, how do we make sure that we're, you know, according to grace and all the different factors there. We want to be saved by grace. We want to walk by grace. We look forward to eternity because of God's grace. And, and suddenly grace becomes this concept. It becomes a, a, almost a philosophy. And there's a truth to that. But I want to encourage you something because I I really believe this and I think the word of God teaches this that ultimately Jesus Christ is the grace of God to us. I would take it out of the realm of just some philosophy that we've got to put our minds to in order to try to figure out that concept. And I would put it to the point where we would, we would say we would receive grace because when we receive Jesus Christ, we receive grace. Jesus Christ is the grace of God to each and every one of us. He has come to live within us, to do through us what he knows that we can't do. He knows we can't pay him back for it. And he will empower us in the midst of what he's called us to. Jesus Christ, in that sense, is grace. John chapter 1, verse 14 is a beautiful picture of this. In John 1, he talks about the logos. He talks about the word of God. And at Christmas time, we celebrate this. The word became flesh. And in 114, it says, the word became flesh. He entered into time and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten, the one of a kind, unique son of God from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. And then later on in verse 16 and following, he says, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. That word upon literally has the idea of replacing, replenishing. Grace replenishing grace. Grace in anticipation of more grace. We have received the fullness of God. God has come to live within us. In him the fullness of grace and truth reside. He is grace to us. He is truth to us. And when Christ comes to live within us, then the fullness of grace is now a part of who we are. 
And every time we say yes to the Lord, and every time he begins to lead us, and every time we begin to follow him, every time we begin to experience him, and we begin to walk in the grace that he has already given to us, guess what? When that grace begins to be used up, God's right there to replenish it with more grace. Why? Because he's the fullness of grace, and he never runs dry. It's a beautiful truth. Let me give you three arenas of grace. And believe me, there's more than three. The first is sin. And you say, how in the world is that that an arena for grace? Oh, friend, that's the arena that grace flourishes. Because it's only by God's grace that we have victory in Jesus. It's only by God's grace that any, any one of us have our sins forgiven and that we can experience God's victory over sin. If we don't understand sin, then I would suggest we have a very, very limited understanding of God's grace. Dallas Willard, I don't know if you've heard him or not, he wrote a book uh, several years ago called The Great Omission. We call the, uh, the Great Commission, right, Matthew, uh, where he talks about going into all the world, making disciples. And he wrote a book called The Great Omission because the church is, is to be making disciples. We do it in God's power. We do it in his strength and his timing. But we are to be following the Lord in doing that. And he says this, I've got several quotes from him throughout this sermon on this, but he said, conviction of sin, conviction of sin, listen to this, this is incredible, is no longer a popular topic among evangelicals. Now, I could stop right there and go, what? What? How can we possibly talk about grace and all its richness and all its glory and its depth if we don't understand the impact of sin? We don't understand how sinful sin really is. He says, yet I think a foundation for evangelical piety, meaning our walk with God, etc., across the ages and even now remains not only conviction of sin, alienation from God, condemnation, and a sense of eternal loss, but also deliverance from bondage to sin, from the inability to stop sinning. And what is he talking about? He's talking very clearly about this. We come to Christ. We recognize we're separated from Christ. We recognize that we have to be justified before the Father, not through our works, but through Christ and what God has done for us at the cross. And in the midst of that, we've lost this conversation about sin. And for believers, I fear that in the midst of that, we do a wonderful job, perhaps, of explaining to people what it means to come to know Christ But all of a sudden, when we begin to walk with Christ, we have lost the perspective that it is by God's grace because of what Christ is able to do in and through us, because of what Christ did for us at the cross, that not only has he justified us, made us right with the Father by his blood, by his grace, but now he's broken the power of sin in our lives. We don't have to sin any longer. Why? Because somehow we've been empowered in and of our own strength to overcome our sin? No, because Christ has come to live within us and he can overcome sin. One day the presence of sin is going to be even dealt with. 
We're going to get new bodies, and they won't have sin dwelling in it. Anybody say amen to that? <laughs> it's beautiful truth. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know this well, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Salvation's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. Praise the Lord. We come to know Christ not as a result of anything that we've done or deserve, but rather because of God's grace. And we believe in him. We receive from him what it is that he offers freely and abundantly what he's accomplished for us at the cross, which is available to each and every individual, which is forgiveness of sin, the opportunity to be saved. But in the midst of that, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 reaffirms this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become what? Rich, praise God. What did the Lord do for us? He lowered himself, he humbled himself, even to the point of going to the cross, so that we might be saved. In Corinthians, Paul's simply saying he became poor so that we could be rich. Rich in Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have everything that the the king has to offer. Everything that is his, he's declared to be ours as well. That's amazing grace. We get to walk in that. And so we say amen. We've come to know Christ and we recognize the truth of the reality of coming to the cross. Friend, let me remind you, not only do we have the reality of coming to the cross, we have the reality of walking from the cross. And the victory that God accomplished for us at the cross is now the victory that we get to walk in. We don't have to try to achieve it. We can't do anything to try to get it. It's given to us freely by God's grace. And so Romans 6.14 becomes essential. He says, for sin shall not be master over you. That word master means Lord. Sin will not lord over you. Why? You're no longer under law. What are you under? What are we under? As a community, as a church of believers who have been called into fellowship with God and one another, and as a community of grace, we are under grace. And so people begin to define grace in all kinds of crazy ways. It means you can go do whatever you want. No, you can't. You're under grace. You're within a right and righteous boundary. Grace is not just going and doing whatever you want. Grace is not the license to live whatever you, way you please because you say, well, I'm forgiven, so I just might as well go live. And as long as I go Sunday morning, as long as I go confess to somebody or whatever it may be, No, no, no. Grace is God's empowering ability to transform us, to renew our minds as we get into the word of God. And as the Holy Spirit lives within us now in order to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, to strengthen us in the midst of all of life, we have the ability and the opportunity to rely upon him. And therefore, we are under grace because it's not what I can do for God. It's what God has done and is able to do in and through me. And I say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Well, not only is sin an arena of grace where grace flourishes, because God is able to overcome sin. Praise the Lord. But clearly, as believers, there's a new life. So there's the arena of our rebirth, our identity in Christ. And it's a grace-filled identity. Oh. I love this. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 makes it clear we are new what? Creatures in Christ Jesus. We're a new creation. We're not even qualitatively like the old. God, God has come to live within us. We have a new spirit. We've been made anew. Our minds are being renewed. One day our bodies are going to be, praise God, replaced. We have a new way of thinking. We have a new way of thinking because we have a new identity. It's in Christ because we're, we're children of God, children of the King, because of his great love for us. We have a new way of thinking. It's not I, but Christ in me. Not I, but Christ in me. We have a new attitude. In Philippians 2, where he walks through this passage about the attitude, the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says to the believers and obviously to us, Paul, in writing to the Philippians, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also found in Christ Jesus. We have a new attitude. We have a new way of living. It's based on love. Love one another. Why? Because God is love. Because the Lord of love lives within us. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. So when we say yes to the Lord, guess what begins to be the major characteristic of our lives? Love. We're a community of grace and that allows and affords for us to walk with God in such a way that his love begins to be seen in and through us. A new way of thinking, a new attitude, a new way of living. It's not based on the old. It's based on Christ and who he is. Galatians 2.20 and following, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. Flesh there, he's not talking about sinful, carnal flesh. He's talking about our bodies. Our walk with the Lord now. How do we live it? I live by faith in the Son of God, persuaded that God is able. And what did he do for me? He loved me and gave himself up for me. And then he says this, I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't set the grace of God aside. As believers, we should never be setting aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. In Galatians 5, 4, he says, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. The sad truth of it is he's speaking to believers. He's writing to believers. And what he's saying is you have forgotten who you really are. You've forgotten that it is Christ in you. You've placed yourself back up under the very system that demands performance. And you've been freed from that. You're no longer under law. You're under grace. You don't have to perform for God. You don't have to fake it for God. You don't have to act like you're one way when you're really another way. You don't have to give in to sin any longer because Christ lives in you to overcome that sin. Praise the Lord. Stop placing yourself back up under the law and choose to place yourself under the wonderful, gracious, loving grace of God. Well, the third arena that we follow the Lord in and that certainly grace flourishes is discipleship. Make disciples, right? That's the command. That's the great commission. And we're told that we ought to be about that. How do we do that? Well, we run to the Lord first and foremost. We begin to be renewed in our minds. We begin to be transformed by the Lord. And God then through us begins to do a work. He leads us and empowers us. He even raises up the ministry for us to walk in. 
Gives us the strength and the power to walk in the ministry. And then he's responsible for the results. It's beautiful truth. Again, from Dallas Willard, the great omission. I think this is a fascinating statement. (laughs) And I I really debated whether to use it or not, but I think it needs to be said because I think it's important to look at both sides of this. He says, currently we're not only saved by grace, we're paralyzed by it. There's deep confusion. We find it hard to see that grace is not opposed to effort, but is opposed to earning. Earning and effort are not the same thing. Earning is an attitude, and grace is definitely opposed to that. Earning is what I can do in order that I can earn a wage. I can get something. Lord, you owe me because this is all that I've done. No, no. It's not opposed to effort. Now catch this. When you see a person who has been caught on fire by grace, you are apt to see some of the most astonishing efforts you can imagine. And he references 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking about the Apostle Paul. And you look at what God did in the Apostle Paul's life and how God, by his grace, not only saved the Apostle Paul, but called him into service to what the Lord had for him. And then by his grace, which Paul testifies about over and over and over again, it is by the grace of God that I've done what I've done. It is not I, but Christ in me. It has nothing to do with me. Anything good that you see out of me is because of God's grace and the way that he's able to transform me. And lead me and guide me and strengthen me to do the things that he's called me to do. But there's a a little bit of an interesting twist in this. Boy, I don't pretend even to come close to the intelligence of Dallas Willard. I would love to have a conversation with him about this at some point. But my fear is that when people say, well, that's right, we're not uh, to try to earn grace. But grace is not opposed to effort that we would somehow take his statement or that we would take that idea and we would lose sight of what kind of effort we're really talking about. Effort that is unyielded and unsurrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ is devastating. Activity that is not yielded to the Lord may have a biblical mandate attached to it. It may have sincerity attached to it. It may even, for all intents and purposes, look great. But if that effort, if that activity is not yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, friend, it is devastating. Because we can be very, very active for the Lord. But in the same breath, we can absolutely use that activity to hide very very wicked hearts and wicked attitudes towards the Lord. The great example of that is in Revelation where the Ephesian church, the Lord says to them, hey friends, you are doing a lot of great things, but this I have against you. You have what? Left your first love. Were they doing activity? Were they putting effort into it? Was it good? Yeah. The problem was is it wasn't yielded to the Lord. It wasn't out of his power and out of his strength. It wasn't by grace. I love how Paul puts this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, He said to me, the Lord said to me, Paul's 
quoting this, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul says this, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Wow, how antithetical to the world that is. We boast in our strengths. Look how great we are at this. No, no. Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses. Why? Because it's the power of Christ that then is revealed in and through me. It's God's grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. Here's the effort. But I labored even more than all of them, meaning the other apostles. Yet not I, he clarifies it, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Wow. So yes, there's effort. And grace is certainly opposed to earning. I deserve because of what I've done. No, no. Friend, the community of the church, the community of grace should never have that attitude. Because it is antithetical to grace. It is antithetical to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is antithetical to everything that he has set us free from. But in the midst of it, we certainly have effort. As we follow the Lord and as we walk with him, as he calls us, into certain things that he has for us individually and corporately, we begin to realize what a joy it is to serve the Lord and pour our lives out for him in effort, all with the attitude, not of that I get to have this because I did this for you, Lord, but rather I get to do this for you, Lord, because of what you've done for me. Totally different atmosphere. 1 Peter 5.10, Peter in writing this, he says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. I love that phrase, don't you? The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What a beautiful picture of salvation that is in its fullness. Coming to the cross, He's called you to himself. He's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He doesn't call any other way. It's always in Christ. But then what does he do for those who are called in Christ? He himself perfects, confirms, strengthens, and establishes us. It's a work of God in its totality, and it's by his grace. 2 Peter 3.18, Peter again, speaking of the grace of God, says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace. You realize that word grow has the idea of what God does. We don't grow anything. We can plant it. We can water it. We do that with the word of God. But only God is able to grow anything. Certainly only the Lord can grow us. We have to avail ourselves to him. We have to yield ourselves to him. We have to say, yes, Lord, in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of times where we start to try to take something over and we try to take control of it, we begin to learn to yield it to the Lord and say, Lord, be in me what I'm not. Thank you for the greatness of who you are. Thank you that apart from you, I can do nothing, but in you, I can do everything. That's the beauty of it. And God begins to grow us. Great book, um, Take the meat, throw out the bones. A guy named Albert Winsman. Growing an engaged church. Obviously, God does that. 
but there's certain things here that I think were really pertinent. He says this, to become healthy again, the church needs to stop doing and start being. Oh, that's an interesting one. Now, when I say stop doing, I don't mean stop doing things like caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless, or any of the other ministries that the church is called to pursue. Rather, the church must stop focusing on institutional preservation. It must get back to the basics, particularly the basics found in the Acts of the Apostles, and rediscover what it means to be the church. Oh, I love that. You know, sometimes we're very good at doing church. We're very good at doing church. All the programs and all the the methodology and the talk. The question is, are we being the church? And to be the church, friend, takes grace. Because it's by God's grace that he, in and through us, helps us to walk in the reality of what he's called us to. And he strengthens us. And he begins to grow us in who he is. And then he begins to produce through us the fruit of the spirit, which is love. So there's a genuineness in the midst of a community of grace. I like what he goes on to say later in the book. He talks about good soil churches. He says the secret to growing an engaged church, and again, I would, I would put the caveat to that, that the Lord is the one that grows. We don't grow anything. But in the midst of the discussion of growth and how does the Lord begin to grow a church, his point is preparing the soil. And when we talk about the soil, what we're talking about is the heart, preparing the heart. The ultimate goal of the engaged congregation is to be a community of faith that is ready, willing, and able to respond to God's call and produce fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. I think that's a great truth. When God begins to change us, shape us, form us, mold us, he begins to transform us, he begins to renew our minds, we begin to learn to walk with him, we begin to distinguish what's of God, what's not, and the heart begins to be moldable. The heart begins to be worked on by the Lord. The very essence of who we are begins more and more to be yielded and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And every moment of every day begins to be a walk with him, thanking him, grateful for all that he's done, willing to serve him in whatever he chooses to do. Then the soil of our heart is ready in order for God to begin to produce the fruit through us. How do you prepare that soil? I would suggest it's through the word of God. I would suggest this by the Holy Spirit using the word of God in each and every one of our lives in order that we would come before him and acknowledge the greatness of his grace. So let me just give you some points, okay, on grace. Grace is God saving us in spite of our sin. Boy, there's all kinds of verses for that, right? While we were yet sinners, what? Christ did what? died for us. Boy, that's beautiful. Even when we were angry and hostile, violently opposed to God, he went to the cross. That's grace. Grace is God's loving us in spite of our unloveliness. Grace is God's blessing us in spite of our unworthiness. Grace is God's faithfulness in spite of our propensity towards unfaithfulness. You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody been unfaithful to the Lord? Yep. Me too. 
right? There's no big eyes and little eyes at the foot of the cross. We're all equal there. Grace is God in action on our behalf in spite of our resistance of him. You say, I've never resisted the Lord. Oh, really? Yeah. You have an opportunity to share Christ with somebody and you've kind of gone, oh, I don't think so right now, Lord. Our frustration toward him, our lack of trust in him. Something happens. (laughs) What tends to be our first reaction? Oh, no. And the Lord's going, whoa, 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 whoa. I got this. I'm on my throne. I didn't fall off it. I didn't have to wake up in, this, in the morning. He, he's sovereign. It's filtered through his hands. We can run to him. Our fleshly tendency is not to trust him. Grace is God working for us with eternity in mind in spite of our short-sightedness. How often do we get our eyes on the things of the world? Anybody? We forget that the Lord doesn't have our comfort in mind. The Lord doesn't have uh, today and what it is that all that. Yeah, he's got that covered. But ultimately, what does he have in mind? Eternity. What's he working in our lives towards? Eternity. And sometimes we forget that. Thank God for his grace. Grace is God growing us in spite of our weakness. Isn't that what Paul just said? In my weakness, I'm strong. It's in my weakness that I'll glory because then it's God's strength that begins to be revealed through me. Grace is God working through us in spite of our frailty. Grace cannot be earned. It's not deserved. It can never be repaid. Grace is free and given with joy. And the only condition for grace to be imparted is faith, to believe or be persuaded that God is able. We say, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe, I trust. I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing, Lord. Produce in me what I'm not. When we talk about a community of grace, let me just give you some things that a church who is a community of grace should exhibit. Because if the life of Christ is paramount in each and every one of our lives, individually and corporately, then God in and through us begins to reveal himself, not only individually, but also corporately. I would suggest, and we've talked on this, touched on this, one of the first things is love. The community of grace is going to express love in a profound way. Why? Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. With all the different characteristics of it, when we yield to the Lord and we realize how great the love of God is, then we begin to avail ourselves to him and God in us begins to transform us, renew us, change us, however you want to word that. And then his love begins to be seen through us. And it's not just an attitude. It's not just an action in the sense of uh, something we talk about. It's something that we actually walk in. Love. The second thing is humility. Humility. The community of grace, the church, if it's truly a community of grace, will always have humility with it. No one deserves anything. It's not about me. It's not about what I need. It's not about what I want. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. And then God begins to change me so that rather than being me-focused, there's a humility in it where I say, oh, I get to do these things. 
And oh, by the way, I want to put you first instead of me. That's a community of grace. What a beautiful truth. Gratitude. We're deeply grateful to the Lord for everything he's done, everything he's doing, everything that he's promised to do. One of the, one of the great signs of a, a young believer, somebody who's just come to know Christ, is gratitude, thankfulness. Why? Because God lives in them and begins to produce that in and through them. In the hearts of believers, we're grateful. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord. What a privilege it is to be called into the church, the body of Christ, a community of grace. I like this one, transparency. Transparency, because no one measures up. And in spite of that, we're loved completely. (laughs) Transparency, it's okay to admit your flaws. It's okay to admit you're not the best at it. It's okay to admit that you tripped and stumbled, and and it's okay to be real. It's a community of grace. It's okay. Why? Because the Lord loves us unconditionally. We don't set out to trip and stumble. We don't certainly, uh, by license, begin to live whatever way we want, carnally or fleshly. But when we do trip and stumble, it's okay to admit it to one another because we're accepted already by God. And he loves us unconditionally, even when we mess up. And because we've had grace extended to us in that way, we can therefore, in Christ's power, begin to extend that grace to others. Somebody sinned against you, you know what? You can forgive them in Christ's power and in his strength. You begin to say, oh, Lord, Look what you've done for me. What anybody's ever done to me is so minor compared to that. Lord, be in me what I'm not. Transparency. Service. We get to. Not we have to. We get to. Not we have to. I get to serve the Lord. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege to serve one another because of look at how the Lord has served us, is serving us. Faith, there's a trusting the Lord and walking in him. A community of grace is a tremendous community of faith and certainly a tremendous community of hope. Friends, when we talk about the grace of God, we talk about Christmas, we talk about uh, the season we're in, we talk about all that God has done for us. Praise God, we've been called into the body of Christ, his body, which he's the head of, he's the leader, he's the shepherd. And in the midst of that, we get to walk by God's grace. And we are a community of grace because God is the one who's able. And we point to him in every way. Where are you at um, this morning? What's God doing in your life? What challenges do you have? What things are you facing? What things are you going through? And you think somehow, oh no, I don't know what to do with this. It's okay. Run to the Lord about it. You're frustrated in your own self about ways in which you failed the Lord or you feel like you have, have tripped and stumbled. Have you taken it to the Lord, confessed it, and asked the Lord to forgive and asked the Lord to restore you? Not in the relationship. That never gets dealt with. That's, oh, that's there. That's settled. It's the fellowship with the Lord. Sometimes we need to run back to the Lord and receive cleansing 
not the whole bath, but the hands and the feet. And are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say that to the Lord and just agree and acknowledge that? Are we walking in God's grace? Are we walking according to his strength and his power, his will? Are we fully yielded to the Lord? And when we do trip and stumble, do we run to him and ask for forgiveness of it? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.